Hi, and welcome to BOSS, a research podcast by the CBS Sustainability Center. The name BOSS stands for the business of society, which is kind of a guiding principle for the work that we do. As the name suggests, we're interested in how business and society interrelate and what business responsibilities are towards society. In this podcast, we will share, discuss and reflect on CSR and sustainability-related issues through conversations with researchers and practitioners. My name is Sarah Netta. I'm Center Manager at Copenhagen Business School and the host of this podcast. Featuring our colleagues, we aim to inspire you to reflect and take part in the discussion on how to transition towards more sustainable practices for organizations and government and for you and me. Hi, Mikkel. Hello. Thank you so much for taking your time to join me in our mini studio here at uh, at Dalgaseo today. Considering or, or comparing, not that I want to compare the guests that we've had on the on the show so far, but looking back at the other PhDs that I that I've talked to, you're definitely at a different stage in your PhD, considering that you're close to mm. actually finishing. So, I hope so. Uh, yeah, well, I'm pretty sure that um, you will get there, but that definitely will will take us some other places than some of the conversations we've had with um, with your colleagues on um, on their PhDs who were at relatively early phases of um, their PhD. But before we start talking about the very daunting question of what's next and um, how, um, how you're going to proceed with the next half year more or less of your PhD, let's, uh, let's take a step back and talk a little bit about the journey of how you actually got here. My name is uh, Mikkel and I'm a PhD here at CBS. I actually started as a research assistant for Espen Rabeck. And uh, the research I did there was actually about the same thing that I'm working with now. And kind of the whole idea of me making a PhD originated from, from that initial research we did together there. Um, so that was a really constructive and, and very interesting process. Before I was a research assistant, I worked in a small consultancy bureau also with the same area, actually, and the same phenomenon. I was working with social impact bonds, social investments in Denmark. And um, the reason why I became a consultant about it was because I wrote my master thesis about the subject. So I have actually been working kind of in, in this field for some time now, but from very different angles. And I think that has also kind of uh, shaped my interest and and my perspectives on the subject. I think it's been really interesting to kind of shift between kind of the practice and the research angle um, all the time. Yeah. Now, rookie question, what are social impact bonds? That's a very, very good question. I think the uh, simple explanation is that a social impact bond is essentially um, the purpose of a social impact bond is to manage a social welfare problem in a better way than you've, you are trying to do it right now. So that's essentially kind of, that's the core. And the way you do it is through a partnership, a cross-sectoral partnership. 
So usually you will have three types of organizations. Sometimes you can have more than that, but like the, the essential of a social impact bond that you will have three types of organizations. You would have some kind of public organization who's kind of responsible for managing this welfare issue. Uh, usually, if we, for example, homelessness in Denmark, that's often the municipalities who, who worked in this in this area. And you would also have a, a provider organization, the one who are responsible for delivering some kind of new intervention or new way of, of handling this problem. And then kind of the, the new part, because those two types of organizations are kind of known in, in our welfare state, and we have had that for quite some time now. But the third type of organization would be kind of a social investor, an investor who says like, this is something that we um, we would like to finance. And um, we are going to finance this both because there's a financial potential in it, like there's a a potential to get actually a return on investment for putting money into it, but also because it's important and because we are driven by something more than just profits. But what would you say? What are the the benefits of of these partnerships with uh, with these three organizations? Considering that, well, you might as well just have the say the public organization, municipality, and uh, and a provider of this intervention, compared to a partnership where you actually have an investor involved. Mm. What are the benefits? Mm. So the the involvement of investors kind of it originated in the UK essentially for about. 10, 15 years ago, and it originated from kind of a trend in, in, in the welfare state surrounding kind of uh, what you call payment by results contracts. So you would have contracts between, uh, for example, municipalities and service providers where the municipality would, would only pay for outcomes if, if like they met certain criteria, if, if the provider met certain kind of outcomes. For example, uh, an employment service a service provider would only be paid if they actually got people into the job market. That's like essentially a very like logical way of, of thinking about incentivizing uh, organizations. You know, we only want to pay if if it works out. We don't want to pay for like a lot of random stuff. So I think the the idea was very logical, but there was a challenge because it takes time to get some people into the job market. It could take several years, and most. Like service providers, if you're talking about NGOs, for example, they don't have the money to not get paid for several years, essentially. They know they can do it, but like they don't have that amount of money. So therefore, you involve a third type of organization who says, we actually believe that this is a good investment. We can see that there's a, a good chance that these providers can actually reach their goals and we want to support them along the way. So we will provide a loan and that... Uh, a loan which is kind of below market rates, so to say. Mm. Yeah. So that was that was one of the original ideas. There was just delegating the financial risk essentially to a third organization because the municipality didn't want to take the financial risk, the service provider couldn't take the financial risk, and therefore you would have like a third type of organization who would take maybe all of, of the risk, but maybe also something, some of the risk. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds like a very beautiful setup. Uh, how 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 many cases of of this are we actually seeing in practice? Mm -hmm. So globally, we we are seeing between two hundred and fifty and three hundred of these types of partnership. That's kind of the official list, so to say, I think of uh, social impact bonds worldwide. There are certain kind of 
types of impact bonds, that development impact bonds, for example, in, in the third world countries where it's not the state or public organizations, but it's like global NGOs that, that pays for the outcomes instead. Mm. Um, we also have green impact bonds, for example, focusing more on yeah, environmental change. But I think what, what is common around these impact bonds globally is the fact that they are quite large. They're much larger than traditional small contracts between providers and municipalities. There has to be a certain scale in order to be effective because they're quite complex. And that has also been one of the the issues, actually. There's been, well, theoretically, <laughs> it makes sense. But um, in practice, it's just really, really difficult to to kind of create them in a in an effective way, mm -hmm. um, yeah. If you should pinpoint down what what would you say? What are the the main reasons why this is so complicated in practice? I think there are multiple reasons. I would say so. So one of the core uh, notions of social impact bonds is kind of the ambition, which which is a extremely important ambition, an ambition to measure and orient public services towards long-term social outcomes, essentially. So kind of thinking of welfare services as something that should be oriented more towards kind of long-term outcomes of, of the citizens. And that's uh, extremely important. And, and um, yeah, it's an important ambition. The first question then arises, like, how how should we measure and quantify those outcomes? That's extremely difficult. In some areas, it's more easy. For example, in healthcare, we have kind of, we have a system for performance measurement that is quite more advanced than the social area, for example. But also because some social phenomena are so complex that it's very difficult to quantify and to measure. So that's the first thing, like, okay, so we should orient ourselves towards these outcomes but how do we even measure them but the impact bond also wants to measure it quantify it and create a payment model around that and that's a lot of um that's a lot of tricky things um yeah and i think i think the um especially the thing about um incentivizing towards these outcomes is tricky because there's a risk that If you measure not accurately, you can you can create some serious issues, actually. Like, you need to be perfectly sure that if you're putting all the money in two or three performance indicators, that these indicators are extremely accurate about the thing that you want to manage. Mm. Because if you're not, then you're going to pay organizations to do something that's wrong. And maybe maybe you're actually, maybe you're actually doing, doing it worse than before. So, so there's a there's a risk also involved in this because um, there's such a a kind of a, a money focus on these performance indicators, um, and that that creates a much more um, kind of competitive almost um, state. Um, yeah, so I think that's one of that's one of the risks. I think also the fact that you involve an investor. In, in an investment logic as well, in the way that you think about and orient public services. There's a, I think there's a clash, so to say, between perspectives and way of perceiving like welfare services. Yeah, I think I think those are some of the, uh, the challenges um, that arise. Mm. Classic setup, 
say you're at a dinner party and someone asks you, so what is your PhD actually about? How would you frame it? Yeah. Um, so the thing is, I feel like I um, I answer that differently every time someone asks me because I feel like I could frame it in 15 different ways. And I think I have, if not 50 different ways. So sometimes I say I talk about the case because the case is much more tangible. So for example, what I look at is a preventive healthcare program about stress. And um, I'm looking at this program, how it's being scaled around in Denmark. And um, I essentially look at uh, all the, so to say, stuff that's not related to the service itself, but kind of the performance systems around that and how um, how different performance systems work around that service in Denmark. So that's that's one of the kind of the core issues Uh, that's essentially how do we organize in the best way possible uh, welfare programs that we want to deliver and, and scale in, in a state. So that's that's uh, not, not that much about the impact bound model, but more about the purpose of the impact bound model, so to say. And I think sometimes it makes a little bit more sense talking about the reasons behind impact bonds than focusing too much on the impact bond itself because um, that's kind of a maybe it's more relatable I think so yeah and um, I think in the beginning I was extremely fascinated by the impact bond and I think a lot of people were actually also kind of it was introduced to to kind of the, the Danish ecosystem five years ago and I think a lot of people were like wow this is a new cool model let's like let's use it but I think the more I kind of I dug into the model and looked at it, the less novel it became to me and the more it kind of, it, it was a continuation of previous things that we already know. So so again, like maybe the model wasn't that new as as, as I thought and, and maybe other people thought as well. And maybe what we should talk about is not like specifically focusing too much on the model itself, but more taking a few steps back and looking at so it's a tool and what is it a tool for what what kind of problems do we want to manage or solve with this new tool that that we uh, have invented mm. so to say and i think sometimes it makes a little bit more sense talking about kind of the problems and the potential tools for solving those problems and and the impact bond as one of those tools mm. of doing that But I guess also listening to um, to you talking about both the benefits, but also very much the challenges of of working together with these dif different organizations. It also seems to me that that focusing on the purpose or the outcome that 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 you wish to achieve that that is also a narrative that somehow holds the different parties mm -hmm. together in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. I think um, sometimes when I've talked to organizations that have been involved in these partnerships. It seems like the model didn't make that much of a, <laughs> a change, but it was more the fact that you kind of put a lot of different organizations and uh, departments in the same room and talked about an extremely complex welfare issue and kind of coordinated some efforts in order to kind of solve that, solve that collectively. And I think maybe that's also one of the uh, interesting things about this. Like, how can we? How can we work across sectors to manage welfare problems that are extremely difficult to manage and that we have tried to manage the last 50 or 100 years, 
and haven't actually seen that much progression in those areas. How can we actually do something? Because I think we need to think <laughs> differently. And how can we how can we do that? That's that's a tricky question. And maybe the impact bond model can can facilitate that in some kind of way. Mm. And in the question that you're that you're just raising, how does your PhD figure in in that? Mm. How does my PhD figure into that perspective? I think essentially I I see impact bonds as a performance system, and this performance system is one system or model among other models, and every time a model is being used to manage a welfare issue in a certain context, for example, a municipality, it needs to be adapted to that context, especially in Denmark, because municipalities are very different from each other, and there's not a lot of standardization around municipalities. They have a lot of autonomy, essentially. So what works one place doesn't necessarily work another place. So there's kind of a, a translation, so to say, of systems of mod or models into those places. So what, what I'm interested in is essentially what models are being used to manage these issues, how are they being used, and why do municipalities kind of choose some models over other models, and how do they work, right? We want to we wanna find the best choices and models in order to, to solve these issues. We want to find the the instruments that are most effective essentially and that that's that's my interest i want to i want to understand if impact bonds or other related uh, instruments in some cases can be uh, effective tools for managing welfare problems in better ways than previous Mikkel, when introducing you in in the beginning of um, of our conversation, I said that um, eventually we'll come to the very dreadful question of uh, what's next. Mm -hmm. So, Mikkel, with um, the PhD coming to an end eventually in uh, in October, what's next mm -hmm. for you? So, a couple of months ago, I uh, I started thinking about that question, and uh, I applied for a job, and. I was invited to a job conversation where I said, um, essentially, I'm doing a PhD. <laughs> and if I'm considering this job, it's important that kind of we figure out a way to collectively give me an opportunity to finish my PhD. And we uh, we agreed on a way of doing that. So so I accepted that job. And, and so actually now I work part-time as a PhD and part-time in, in, this, in this job. And the job is in a in Danish NGO called, I think the English translation would be the Foundation for Social Responsibility. And the work that I'm doing there is oriented much around kind of performance measurement and um, increasing kind of the quality of of measuring the uh, the outcomes of the interventions that they're doing, both for kind of external accountability reasons, but also for helping internally to kind of improve services, so to say. So it's much aligned to what I'm doing. Uh, and I'm extremely interested in it. And I think it's really fun. I've been here for almost three weeks now. And uh, yeah, I think it's really cool to like, it's weird to have a boss now, you know, <laughs> going about to like, yeah. So I think it's it's really cool to have kind of the um, uh, the combination of an ordinary job but also the opportunity to some days a week just to dig into something extremely theoretical and really kind of 
do that as well. And I and I really appreciate the opportunity to have that combination. Uh, and I think, of course, after my PhD is done, I will I, like the plan is to go full time on on that job. I think I will always kind of have a extremely high interest in nerdy stuff <laughs> and um, kind of theory. But uh, what I'm right now at least really engaged is in is understanding complex subjects and helping like using knowledge in order to to manage or solve things rather than creating theory and that's one of the reasons why i'm I'm right now more kind of engaged in using all the expertise and knowledge that i've gained through my phd into kind of the the practice, the, the real world, so to say. Yeah. Wonderful. Great to hear. Mikkel, one last question. Mm -hmm. And um, if you could basically travel back in time and meet your past self um, working your consultancy job, before you contemplated doing a PhD, what would your number one advice be to yourself? Mm. I think on the top of my head, my advice to myself not necessarily to other <laughs> PhDs would be to like take a deep breath and and realize that you have three years to do your work. And um, most PhDs do three articles, uh, some do four. There's actually a, like a, a fine amount of time and you don't need to stress too much in the beginning about producing too much Because it's much more about the quality than the quantity. And it takes time. It takes a lot of time to produce like research with a high quality. And um you, you can't you can't stress that. You can't just like you, you need to give it time. And I think that's important. And um of course it's 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 important to know where you want to go, but it's also important to acknowledge that it takes time and to to realize that you're not gonna produce it tomorrow. Miguel, I think that that is very wise um, advice, not only to yourself, I think in general, that this will also apply for for other aspiring mm. PhDs, not to not to stress out too mm. much and really give yourself time and not necessarily compare yourself to, to others because mm. you, yeah, you never know how much, say, their PhD is based on master thesis or mm. work as a research assistant where you already collected data exactly. or or whatever the reason might be for for a number of publications already in yeah. one's portfolio. Yeah. So I think that this is um, a good advice. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> And thank you, Mikkel, very much for taking your time to talk to me today. Thank you for uh, inviting me to talk about myself yeah. <laughs> and my work. <laughs> that's, uh, that's fantastic. And uh, I'm looking very much forward to seeing you around at least for a little while mm -hmm. before you start your full-time work with, uh, with the NGO. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of BOSS. Are you interested in learning more about our work? Then check out our website or follow our BOSS blog. The music featured in this podcast is by Crowender.